Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Making our wastewater work for us. Now, wastewater needs to be correctly managed. If we don't, well, we can have some pretty severe public health consequences, but it also might be leading to the rise of superbugs as compared to things like agriculture and fish farms. Plus ways to turn wastewater with a little bit of sunlight into a clean way to generate hydrogen and at the same time tackle antimicrobial resistance in wastewater itself. Now you probably hear a lot of talk about the hydrogen economy. And a lot of this is driven by demand for a nice, clean and efficient way to store energy and use it when we need it. Rather than relying on batteries, one could rely on hydrogen fuel cells. Now, the great part about hydrogen is when you make hydrogen fuel source in a green way, well, you don't need any carbon intensive processes at all. The thing is, if you use electrolysis, depending on the way you do it, Well, you could generate that electricity in a green way, maybe with solar power or wind turbines or even hydroelectricity. Then you could produce hydrogen through electrolysis without requiring any carbon intensive source of production. And that's great, but electrolysis at the moment is only around 4% of the regular hydrogen production method. Most of the time when we make hydrogen, we either use natural gas, oil, coal to actually produce the hydrogen through steam reforming and other processes. These, all of these methods basically rely on some form of fossil fuel. If you split water apart through electrolysis, releasing the hydrogen and the oxygen, well, you need electricity to do so. That's the electrolysis process. The problem is electrolysis relies on some catalysts to kick it into high gear. And the special setup required to produce hydrogen via electrolysis means you have to have some pretty specialist hardware, which by the way, can often be carbon intensive to produce in the first place. Putting that aside, let's say we had a nice way to produce hydrogen via electrolysis. Well, that would be pretty good, but it all comes back to the efficiency of that electrolysis process, which a lot of it is driven by the cells that you use to create it. The better the catalyst, well, the more efficient the process can be. And that's where a new paper published in the American Chemical Society's journal, ES&T Engineering, from researchers from the Sun Yat-sen University in Guangzhou, including Yao Yao Wu and Yu Kuang Li, and a number of other collaborators, highlights a new way to generate hydrogen using the electrolysis process. But at the same time, not only use, obviously, solar energy, the sun's energy, but do so in a way that tackles another big problem that we all face. How to deal with waste water. Now, of course, having clean and safe access to drinking water is incredibly important for survival, but having a good and safe way to deal with wastewater is incredibly important for overall public health. So, if you had a way to make hydrogen a very potentially efficient and useful fuel source, and if you did so in a way that not only didn't use fossil fuels, that would be great, But if you did it in a way that didn't use fossil fuels and at the same time tackled another problem, the treatment of wastewater, well, hang on a second, this is a real winner. Now, the thing is, at the moment, harnessing the sun's energy, using solar sources to split water to make hydrogen is a pretty slow process, even when you use catalysts to speed it along. 
Sometimes you can add things like alcohols or sugars to boost the rate of hydrogen production. The thing is, that's a consumed material because those chemicals are destroyed as the hydrogen is generated, which means that you don't have a renewable process. The whole point here is to generate a renewable one, so that's less than ideal. Yes, it makes for a fast electrolysis, but it does require you actually to feed it drinks effectively, either alcohol or sugar. Now, okay, maybe there's a different strategy. Researchers tried to use the contaminants that were found in wastewater to effectively do the same thing. Give that catalytic process the boost that sugar or alcohol could give it. Now, they picked titanium-based catalyst as a first try, and that worked for removing contaminants and generating hydrogen. But the problem is, it's less efficient for both of those steps because, well, there's an overlapping reaction site for the cleaning of the wastewater and the generation of hydrogen. So the idea instead was to combine this titanium dioxide with cobalt oxide to create two-layered catalyst, a dual-functioning catalyst that breaks down common pharmaceutical reagents that are left over or common pharmaceutical drugs that are often found in wastewater. So it filters out and picks out these pharmaceutical wastes in wastewater. Basically, if you take a paracetamol or another type of medicine, often a lot of waste ends up in the wastewater. But that's bad, obviously, for a lot of reasons for wastewater treatment. But an advantage if you want to use those chemicals to help boost along your reaction process. And that's a really novel idea. And that helps efficiently turn that water into hydrogen by acting as the boost. At the same time, it consumes and takes out those pharmaceuticals from the wastewater, making it cleaner and getting rid of an otherwise pretty problematic element of wastewater. Now, to make the catalyst, the researchers coated nanoscale titanium dioxide crystals with a really thin layer of cobalt oxide. So when they just tried that on its own, it didn't really produce much hydrogen. So by adding in some platinum nanoparticles, the efficiency of the mechanism sped right up, but it's an expensive catalyst to use for generating hydrogen, platinum being very rare and very difficult. Now, when they added sunlight to the mix, right, so they exposed this catalyst to sunlight, the platinum impregnated catalyst did degraded two antibiotics and produced substantial amounts of hydrogen. So that means that not only does this catalyst design work, yes, you have to add a little bit of platinum, but it does work really well when you expose it to hydrogen. And it is great at breaking down these antibiotics that can be found in wastewater. A really good example of turning trash, literally in this case, waste, into treasure. And when they tested it with real wastewater sampled and simulated sunlight, there was significant production of hydrogen in all cases. Now, the greatest amount of hydrogen was obtained from wastewater samples. So it shows that this is a really innovative, sustainable way of doing wastewater treatment and at the same time generating hydrogen fuels. This novel and interesting approach is outlined in a paper in the American Chemical Society Journal, ES&T Engineering. And there's some great work from Sunetsen University in Guangzhou researchers, including Yao Yao Wu, Yu Hong Li, and a number of other collaborators.
just spoke about removing antibiotics from wastewater and that is important because organizations like the world health organization list antimicrobial resistance as a huge problem probably a top five priority to the who in 2020 and each country's task to come up with their own national action plans that address the regional challenges that might be faced in that region that could be contributing to the rise of antimicrobial resistance or the development of superbugs, bacteria that are resistant to all antibiotics. Now, the importance of having a resistance, having a way to treat microbes and bacteria, we've talked about many times here on the podcast. But ending up with, obviously, wastewater or water which is full of antibiotics is only just further exposing more organisms and giving those bacteria and microbes chances to grow and develop resistance to what should be reserved as pretty much a medical treatment now this is a problem because when we start to study the sediment samples from water across the world in different channels reservoirs or maybe in aquaculture fish farms we start to see some pretty alarming trends. High levels of antimicrobial resistance, AMR. And some researchers from a number of different institutions have just published a paper in the Journal of Hazardous Materials. These researchers involved people from the UK, Newcastle University, along with colleagues from King Mongkut's University of Technology, Tonburi in Thailand, and the Institute of Urban Environment and China's Academy of Sciences. Now, they all collaborated together to study, in particular, the impact of aquaculture on antimicrobial resistance. And what they were looking for is comparing how urban wastewater contributes or may contribute to the rise of AMR, antimicrobial resistance, in different aquaculture locations across the world. Now, aquaculture is the fastest growing animal food production in sector globally. And you can see that over 91% of global aquaculture is now actually produced in Asia. It makes sense because the worldwide demand increases for farmed fish and shrimp. We have a more efficient means of production, a farming style production of these food sources rather than simply overfishing. Now, that has a good benefit for the environment in many ways because it reduces the impact on fish ecosystems and concentrates it. But the problem is, aquaculture itself has its own problems. Now, like with any area of farming, farmers, in this case farmer or farmed fishermen, are trying to keep their product, their crop, alive and healthy. And just like we see in cows and chickens and pigs, the use of antibiotics in the feedstock can be pretty high. Now, that isn't great because that antibiotics can leach out from the feedstock and into the environment. That's why governments like the Thai government have introduced measures, just like are done in other farming settings, to reduce the dependence on antibiotics to try and cut down on development of antimicrobial resistance. And they routinely go in and check and monitor residues and see what it's happening in the waste products from this aquaculture to make sure that antibiotics aren't being used. Now, this kind of monitoring gives us a pretty good data set, and that's what the researchers were investigating. And you'd think that, well, what can a government do to actually mandate that farmers shouldn't use antibiotics for their crops? Aren't they just going to skirt the system and try and use it anyway? Well, the actual results from the test seem to indicate that, the, especially on the small-scale cultural farmers, they're complying very well with the Thai government instructions and rulings, and really cutting down on what they can and can't use. 
And through this wider monitoring tools, what they've found is some other pretty alarming trends that have nothing to do with aquaculture at all. What they found was that the highest concentration of antimicrobial resistant genes wasn't from aquaculture farms or farm water. It was actually from water from the Hua Krabu Canal in Bangkok. The fecal pollution markers were incredibly high in those samples, which means that this is probably untreated urban wastewater because most of the wastewater runoffs in this area are basically untreated water. And in Thailand, only around half of domestic wastewater is in fact treated. And that's a problem because it means that places like these canals can end up with a lot of urban wastewater in it. Why is that bad? Well, urban wastewater can have everything that a human drinks or eats, which in a lot of the times can include medicine. Medicine that keeps the human that took it safer, but when it's finished, it gets flushed out, flushed down, and ends up in urban wastewater. In this instance, you end up with a really high concentration of these antibiotics in this wastewater. And then, obviously, the microbes in that have a chance to develop resistance. And that's why these areas had such a high antimicrobial resistance genes in these waters from these wastewater runoffs, far more than they were seeing from the aquaculture sites. And the findings of this are pretty significant. It's not that aquaculture doesn't have its own negative drawdown sides to the environment, particularly the environment around it. The waste from fish, fish poop more or less, and the byproducts of aquaculture can cause a lot of environmental damage if not appropriately treated and handled. But the, in terms of antimicrobial resistance, as long as there are regulations in place, the use of antimicrobial resistance is cut down on the farms. Well, you don't end up with huge problems of developing microbial resistance in those areas. At least by comparison to water taken from ponds and nearby canals, well, if you don't have a good urban wastewater management, you can end up with a far higher concentration of antibiotics in those areas, meaning that you have a far higher concentration of microbes that have learned to fight back antimicrobial resistance. And in places with not well-managed urban wastewater, ignoring the public health benefits and risks from not having well-managed wastewater, the macro global public health benefits of having, not having superbugs is also significant to consider. And this work in Thailand is one example for, of how researchers are collaborating from across the world in countries like China, Malaysia, India, and Thailand, Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Nepal to track down and identify waterborne hazards and rivers and how it can impact the overall food production systems. And it shows the importance of managing both drinking water, water quality, but also treating wastewater efficiently. Because if you don't do that, well, you can get into further problems down the road. This is some great work published in the Journal of Hazardous Materials about how antimicrobial resistance can be developed and how it can be cut down on by some smarter water management, both in our fish farms, but also on our streets. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From cleaning up our wastewater at our fish farms to understanding how to turn wastewater into hydrogen fuel cells and clean up antimicrobial resistance at the same time. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.